Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. I didn't know, I'm going to confess something to you. I didn't know I had a fear of heights until I found myself on the 95th floor of the Hancock Building in Chicago. Right, you know the Hancock Building, the skyscraper, there's the signature bars on the 95th floor and they welcome you, come up and see the view, grab a quick drink and then go about your day and that's what Beth and I did. And uh, in front of me I have my lovely wife enjoying old fashioned and out the window I have this beautiful view of the skyline of Chicago which I, I am now a part of. And then, of course, over there, in my head, I can still see it, Lake Michigan, a beautiful view of the Chicago waterfront. But in my feet, I'm feeling this slight vibration because it's the middle of summer. And I can feel the floor shaking just a tiny little bit, little vibration, because the air conditioning units are close by in this massive skyscraper. And so the floor is doing this little thing. And then if you've been in a tall building, you know that if there's even just a little bit of a wind gust, right? The the skyscraper shifts just a smidge back and forth, and you can feel it, and it's designed to do that, and and it's a safe and good thing to have happen. But as I'm sitting there uh, on the 95th floor with the vibration in the floor and and the shower, the tower shaking just a smidge, I found myself unable to think about anything other than (laughs) 9-11. It was very bad. And so I'm sitting there, my heart is in my throat, I'm trying to have a good time, and I told Beth, I said, Beth, um... I'm very embarrassed to tell you this. I, I think I'm having a panic attack and I need to go right now. And she says, Brian, are you, are you sure? And I'm thinking, yeah. And I told her, I said, I'm, I'm, I feel everything and I, everything in my brain is, is telling me, get out, get out, get out. And, and so I said, can you settle the check for us and, and can I meet you back on the ground? And she said, sure. But, but that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the fact that um, once I got up to get in line for the elevator, the, the line for the elevator was 20 minutes long. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there with my palms against the wall, my shoulders against the wall, and I'm trying to control my breathing, you know, deep in, deep out. I'm trying to pray. I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. Just get me down to the ground floor. And all I can think about, of course, are these terrible visions from 9-11. And finally, after 20 minutes of waiting in line for the elevator, I get down to the, the floor, and I find a bench, and I just sit for about 30 minutes with my head in my hands like this going, what just happened? Um, so I, I, I tell you this story because I want to let you know that in, in a sermon about anxiety and panic today, uh, I am not sort of immune to all this. I'm speaking from my own place of weakness. And I think contrary to popular belief, um, anxiety and panic are things that we all experience. It's just a matter of what circumstances bring those things forward in our spirits. Our bodies are wired with these flight or fight responses. Uh, And it really, it's just varying from person to person what sets them off. You may not panic when you're on the top floor of the skyscraper, but you might panic a bit when your cell phone goes off. Um, That's a very common thing. Your phone goes off in that brief moment. You're wondering, is this good news? No, it's probably bad news. And, And you're anxious to see what your phone says. 
Or maybe um, you have a sneaky suspicion, right, that when you get the email to, to, from your boss saying, hey, I need to meet with you today at 2 o'clock, come into my office, you have this sneaky suspicion it's going to be bad news. Um, maybe you're someone, this really hits you when you're driving somewhere and your GPS doesn't work and, and you, you, you get lost for a little bit and all of a sudden your, your heart jumps into your throat and you're thinking, oh gosh, I got to figure this out. I got to get out of here. Um, I have a relative who goes out of her way to um, avoid any sort of tunnel on a freeway. So if she knows she's going somewhere and there's a tunnel involved, she will go an hour out of her way to avoid the tunnel. Um, and then I have a friend who uh, cannot watch violence on TV uh, because it reminds my friend of some violence he experienced in his abusive childhood. And so I think this is an important topic for us to address today as part of our Divine Debrief sermon series. We're revisiting the last year and a half and we're processing what the heck we've all been through. And this sense of anxiety, whether it's the short-term sort of day-to-day -day anxieties, or whether it's something maybe medicated and longer-term and more, a deeper, more clinical pattern in your life, like we've all been there in some measure. This side of the fall, we are all anxious. Before, as the pandemic was just ramping into gear, this is March of 2020, I was visiting and, and visiting a local shopkeeper, checking up with him here in Ligonier. I think it may have been the Monday after the schools had all closed down. And he was in his place of work, and I, I walked in to say hi to him, and he was on the phone with his wife making a panicked phone call talking about ordering toilet paper on Amazon. Because he had just been to the Giant Eagle in town, and he had just seen that the shelves were bare, and he was panicking. He was anxious because, I mean, to be, the figure of speech was appropriate for him. He got caught with his pants down. He actually needed toilet. He was down to his last roll, and he didn't know where he was going to find any. And so I come in, and he's on the phone with his wife, trying to convince her to buy some off of Amazon, but the best deal he can find off Amazon is toilet paper for $79.99, and it didn't even qualify for two-day shipping. It wasn't going to be here in time. So he sees me come in, and he, he hangs up with his missus, and he says, Pastor Brian, he says to me, I don't know what to do. I'm saying my prayers here, but I don't want to spend $80 on toilet paper that isn't going to even arrive till next week. So fair enough. And I think we may not have had the toilet paper panic, um, but I think we've all experienced some measure of that in the past year. And so that's why I want to talk about it today, to maybe give some helpful framework for understanding what this anxiety is and how it works in our bodies. And then on top of that, talk about what the Bible says about anxiety and maybe what we can do about it as a result. And so one way to think of our anxiety is something like this, that imagine in our heads and in our spirits, we have a little threat detector, right? Imagine all of us on our head have a little radar dish and this radar dish is constantly scanning for things that are threats. And that's good. It's good that we have this radar dish, this thing that's constantly scanning for threats. For example, you're driving down the road and you see somebody who's driving a little erratically in front of you. And you get a little bing from your threat detector saying, hold on, he's not driving right. There may be something wrong there. Or maybe you're walking down a trail in the forest and you, you, you see a bridge, but the bridge, it's a little old. And there's some, some moss and rust on it, like a little wooden bridge. And you go bing that bridge may not be safe. Our threat detectors are important, right? They, they help us see these things that could indeed be hurtful or dangerous to us in our lives, right? But they don't just scan the physical world around us. They're not just looking at puddles after a big rainstorm saying, ding, that puddle could be more dangerous. It could be deeper than you imagine. Don't drive in it. Our threat detector radars are also scanning our social spheres and our relational spheres as well, right? <coughs> So when you feel a little distance from your spouse, your threat detective radar goes, bing, 
something may be wrong with my spouse because uh, I, I don't feel close and we, we have some distance here. Maybe I should look into that. Or maybe your kid comes home from school, your threat detector radar goes bing. Oh, something's, something's off with my kid today. He's, or she's, they're, they're not feeling, they're not their usual cheerful self. I should look into that. Even in your workplace environments, right? You're, you're looking around thinking to yourself, bing, okay, this coworker is acting a little erratic. Maybe I should be careful because uh, they may be gunning for my job at work. So we have this part of our, our, our psyche, our, our system, our bodies. It's designed to help us find these threats. And, and part of what anxiety is, is, is it's a manifestation of that particular part of our spirit um, that is working in a way, um, maybe it's working in overdrive. Maybe it's not working well enough. Our anxiety manifests from that part of our system, okay? And sometimes these, these little threat detective radars, they, they, they break or they're misguided or they're miscalculated. Sometimes our threat detection radar system says, here's a major problem that is dangerous, and if you don't fix it immediately, then you're going to die or terrible things are gonna happen. And, and when that little radar system says that, it's maybe not as big a deal as you thought. That's what happened to me on the 95th floor of the Hancock Tower, right? I know, it's, a, it's still there, by the way. It didn't fall down <laughs> since I was there last. And that same cocktail bar is there on the 95th floor too, right? My threat detective radar was thinking, bing, this is dangerous, get down, get down, get down, but that wasn't that dangerous, I know that. Uh, but my body didn't, sure didn't feel that way when I'm up on the 95th floor. And the Bible records this pattern over and over and over again of people whose threat detecting radars go off, and the result is they do something against God's will in their lives uh, as a result. Think, for example, we, we talked about this in our Genesis sermon series a while back, the, the two times that Abraham lent his wife out uh, to a king, a foreign king. Remember when Abraham does this? Because he goes and he, he's, he's traveling, he goes into a foreign land and he says to himself, he thinks in his mind, um, his threat detector radar goes, bing, if I don't make good with this king, he's going to kill me. So I need to ingratiate myself with these rulers, even at the expense of my marital vows, right? You have Abraham, his threat detective radar is going off. Or maybe Moses. You remember Moses when he's called at the scene with the burning bush? Um, Moses, he's talking with God. He's got his bare feet. He's there. He's, he's having this, this wonderful theophany with the Lord in the burning bush. Uh, and yet all he can think of is why he shouldn't be doing what God has asked him to do. He comes up in that scene with at least four excuses. He says, no one's going to believe me. He says, I'm bad at public speaking. He says, what is your name, God? Give me your name so I can tell the people who which God sent me. And he says, even on top of it all, just give me some way of proving to the people that I'm not a quack. Because as God is commissioning him to be a leader, his threat detective radar is going off and saying, failure, failure, no one is going to listen to me, right? Or even one more, the, the 12 spies who scope out the land of Canaan, right? The 12 spies, this is, this is the, the spies that Moses sends into the promised land. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. This land is yours. I promised it to Abraham. I'm giving it to you, Israel. And the ten, uh, 12 spies go into the land and, and, and they see the inhabitants of the land. And bing, their threat detective radars go off and they say, oh no, <laughs> no, they're too big. They're like giants. We cannot fight them. And they come back and 10 of them say, um, no, we can't do this. Like, I don't know what this God is telling us to do, but we cannot fight these people. But two of them, of course, say, hey man, trust God and everything's gonna be fine. So again, we can see like our, our threat detection radars are, are, are working, they work all the time, but sometimes they say things are dangerous and hard when they really aren't, whether it's 
Moses and the leading the people of Israel, or whether it's um, uh, the 12 spies, or whether it's Abraham and his wives, or whether it's me on the 95th floor of the Hancock building, right? And so what we have in some sense is that our threat detectors can be faulty. They can be off. But sometimes our threat detectors actually give an accurate assessment of the threat at hand. Sometimes your threat detectors actually do bring out something that is a danger. Um, when I was a toddler, uh, my parents tell this story, when I was a toddler, I wasn't much older than Tom. Uh, we were at a, a park and we're just walking along a trail. My mother sat me down on a park bench and the two of us were sitting next to each other. And my father was standing a ways away and he turned around and he saw a, a, a coiled up rattlesnake um, close by and it was rearing its head back up like it was about to strike at me as a toddler. And uh, he very calmly said to my, my mother, he said, um, hey, hon, can you grab Brian and come over here for a second? And she said, sure. She picks him up and comes over, what's wrong? And, and he says, there's a snake, a rattlesnake. And she screamed at the top of her lungs. And she's been terrified of snakes ever since. Uh, and so, uh, you know, rattlesnakes, you need your threat detectors to find the rattlesnakes. Like that was a dangerous situation. All right, that, this is, that was not an illusion. And, and thankfully things worked out well. In our reading from Second Chronicles today, uh, a long reading, thank you, Lori, for reading it, uh, we have the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, right? Jumping Jehoshaphat. Um, and and uh, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and he has this kind of situation. There is a very real, tangible, present danger coming his way. Um, three different kingdoms have allied themselves and said, we are going to march against Jerusalem, we're going to march against Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel, and we are on the way. And this gets reported to Jehoshaphat, who is, is not prepared for battle at all. Uh, and so he scrambles. He calls out everyone in the surrounding towns and villages. He says, you know, nationwide meeting at, in Jerusalem. We need to get together now. There's an army coming. He scrambles, scrambles, scrambles. Everyone brings their families. Everyone's there. And, and he leads this big prayer service, a service of worship in and around the temple. And he says to God, God... Um, this thing is a real and present danger to our people. You promised this land to Abraham, but if these guys have their way, it's not going to come together. Uh, and uh, we need your help. And they're fasting and they're praying and they're singing to God and they're trying to figure out what to do. I think my favorite line, one of my new favorite lines in the Bible is in this passage. Um, he says to them, we do not know what to do. This is part of his prayer to God. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a, what a beautiful statement of faith, right? That, that this trouble is coming. Jehoshaphat's threat detectors are going berserk and all for good reasons. Everything that he's believing, all logic says, this is a real threat. And so Jehoshaphat prays. He leads the people in prayer and fasting. He turns to God and says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so what happens? Well, it turns out this, this military that's coming against uh, Jerusalem and Judah and Jehoshaphat. Turns out this military alliance, not a very strong alliance. And God intervenes and causes them to quarrel. And instead of three armies fighting against Jerusalem and Judah, the three armies turn and fight against each other. And so when the armies of, of, of Jehoshaphat, they arrive on the battle scene, they're ready for battle, they're singing God's praises and they're ready to go, they show up and the battle's already finished. There's a massive battlefield full of dead people. So all they have to do is show up, look around, and then pick all the bodies and take all the clothes and take all the gold and the jewelry and the weapons and take it home like they won the battle because they took all the loot. The text tells us it took them three days to clean up and gather all of the loot 
that they had discovered. And so sure enough, they all march home as victors, even though they didn't fight in the battle once. And so by God's grace, I was not bit by a rattlesnake at age one. (laughs) And by God's grace, Jehoshaphat and his people uh, made it and they showed up at the battle, which had already been fought by God and won on their behalf. And so sometimes our threat detectors actually find real present dangers, but God is moving before us and taking care of it for us. So not all threats come to fruition. Not all threats are accurate, but sometimes our threat detectors actually are real and the danger that we are perceiving actually arrives. And the thing that we hope does not happen does indeed come true. And this is what happens in our gospel reading today, right? Um, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. He knows that he has about, um, uh, what, maybe 18 hours left uh, in, on earth before his crucifixion. And he knows that that very night he will be betrayed and turned over. And he shared this news with his disciples. He says, I'm going to be betrayed and turned over. They know, Jesus knows anyway that the time has come. And so he's praying. His threat detector radar is going off. He says, I know this is happening. I know this is coming. And he's on his knees praying to God and saying, God, uh, like anything, anything but this. Is there any other way, right? Take this cup from me, Jesus says. And God's answer to that is, is no, there is no other way. And instead of being, um, instead of being rescued uh, from the trials to come, he is instead given an angel to help support and care for him in what will be his most trying time. And so the, the, the text tells us, of course, that Jesus has this case of, um, the, the medical word is uh, hematohydrosis, uh, where the blood vessels in his skin, he's praying so hard that they pop, and then the blood begins to, to come out of his system in his sweat. That's how anxious Jesus is for the next day. That's how much his threat detectors are going off. And he knows it's coming, and it's not changing. Contrast this, of course, with the disciples, right? Who, in our reading, have um, taken the opportunity to fall asleep while they are praying. Um, We might say that the disciples have a different, their threat detectors aren't going off at all. They're able to sleep soundly. But Jesus' is going red alert, you know, um, uh, uh, DEFCON 5. And uh, when, when the crowds do come, uh, he's chastising his disciples saying, get up and pray. You don't know the temptation that's coming. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Uh, so when it comes to anxiety, friends, I think there's, there's a number of ways our anxiety can play itself out. We can be anxious about a non-issue, like my fear of heights on the 95th floor of the Hancock building in Chicago. We can be anxious, but then the issue will resolve itself, like Jehoshaphat going to battle. We can be anxious, but then have our fears rightly proven like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, And we can be like the disciples where perhaps we should be anxious about a matter, uh, but we are not. So even though we have these parts of our spirit, these threat detectors, there are a lot of ways where they're helpful and beneficial, but there are a lot of ways where they can lead us astray. And I think everyone in these four categories, everyone's experienced this level of anxiety over the past year. Um, Maybe, again, you've been anxious about something that ultimately wasn't a big deal. You know, um, maybe uh, your favorite restaurant was doing takeout service for a while, and uh, that made you very anxious, and and you weren't able to eat inside for a while. But all things considered, you know, you were able to get back in eventually, and, and things began to kind of correct themselves. 
Maybe we can be anxious about a matter that ultimately resolves itself. Maybe you were a little anxious about the toilet paper fiasco too and bought an extra pack or two just to be safe, right? And, and the reality is, is I don't think a single person in this pandemic, including my shopkeeper friend, um, I don't think a single person in the pandemic actually ran out of toilet paper and had to use something else, Lord forbid. Uh, I think we were all okay, right? And uh, maybe you actually did have a COVID fear and a COVID anxiety that did come to fruition. I mean, this happened in our family. You know, when we got word that COVID was in grandma's nursing home, uh, we were terrified because we didn't want grandma to catch it and not meet our three-year-old's, uh, excuse me, our, our newborn son. He was three months at the time. And sure enough, when COVID got to her and she died from it, our fears, our anxieties were confirmed. Um, but maybe there are matters that we should have been more anxious about in the pandemic. Um, remember when we all thought this whole thing was going to go back to normal in a couple of weeks? And we said things like, I'll give it a month or two and we'll be fine. And it's been a year and a half and we're still kind of dealing with it. Um, and so I think when it comes to the Bible and anxiety, what can we take away from the Bible? Um, I, well, I, I don't think we can say that the Bible uniformly conforms anxiety. Uh, condemn, excuse me. The Bible doesn't normally, sort of uniformly say, no anxiety, no anxiety. Anxiety is bad. Anxiety, if you have it, you're a sinner. You should just trust God more. But it's not the full picture because, um, you know, a lot of the people that we go to to say, look, Jesus says this about anxiety. He says, who by being anxious could add a single hour to his life, right? That's part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that. But again, when you read that, you also have to read Jesus praying in the garden, who is praying and he is having anxiety and it does not add a single hour to his life, right? Where I think of Paul, right? It's very interesting. Paul's a, a funny guy because Paul will say um, in Philippians chapter four, he will say, you know, um, I uh, do not be anxious about anything. He'll say that in Philippians four, but two chapters earlier in Philippians two, he will say, I'm really anxious that this guy gets better. <laughs> I really hope this guy gets better. In fact, I'm anxious about him getting better. So Paul in the very same letter will say, I'm anxious that this guy gets better, but also don't be anxious about anything. And so I think we have to do more than just sort of give you a blanket statement that says um, anxiety is bad or anxiety is unbiblical because the very people that we go to for those proof texts also talk about the anxieties that they have in their ministry, in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and so I think what we can do instead is look at what the Bible says about reducing anxiety. Um, because instead of saying the Bible is here to sort of make you feel get bad and guilty about your anxiety, there is something unequivocally the Bible says um, that will help you manage and cope and reduce your anxiety. Um, there is something you can do, whether you're on the 95th floor of the uh, Hancock Building in Chicago, um, whether your work situation is unsteady, whether you can't find the toilet paper, uh, whether you are worried about somebody in your family, like your kids or your spouse, there is something the Bible says will actively help you manage your anxiety and approach the situation, not with the, the, the DEFCON 5 threat detecting radar that you have, but with the appropriate uh, response. Um, because St. Paul in Philippians 4 doesn't just say, do not be anxious about everything. That's not the end of his sentence. Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible tells us that the spiritual tool, the activity we can engage in 
that will help take our anxiety and reduce it to the appropriate level uh, is prayer. Prayer is the great um, anti-anxiety practice of the Bible. And uh, when, when Paul says prayer, he doesn't just mean the supplication part, right? Supplication is asking God things. So when, when he says this, he says, we don't just sort of ask God to take care of it. He says, um, you know, that's one part of it, and it's only one part of it. He says that we do it, prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, right? Uh, and part of this is because what Paul wants us to do is, is, is pair together our please God prayers with our thank you God prayers. He wants those prayers to go up together. I think that's wise, right? Because what you're doing is you're saying, not just God, I need you to take care of this thing that's got my, my anxiety running through the roof. I, 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 I don't need you to just take care of that. But also, I'm gonna remind myself and remind you, God, of all the other ways you have taken care of me and mine in the past. Because if I can thank you for the ways that you've been faithful to me and mine in the past, I can actually trust and believe you're going to continue to take care of me and mine in the future. And so when Paul here says, um, if you've got anxiety and you pray about it, you pray not just please God deal with this thing, but also thank you God for all the other things you've dealt with. And if you get into that practice, you're gonna put it on the forefront of your mind, oh yeah, God is good, God loves me, God takes care of these things in my life. And if I can just stick around and wait for him to take care of this thing that's got me so riled, um, I believe that he's gonna take care of it in a way that's gonna take care of me. And so then, of course, your blood pressure begins to lower and you can have better perspective on the matters at hand. My shopkeeper friend, by the way, um, in his toilet paper struggle, he did not end up ordering $80 worth of toilet paper by, off of Amazon. He didn't do that because as I'm talking with him in, in the store, there's another sh uh, shopper there. And the shopper hears about Giant Eagle being out of toilet paper and he's a little perplexed. So what does he do? He leaves the shop, he gets in his car, and he's like, everybody forgets we have a Dollar General here in Ligonier. And he goes to Dollar General and their toilet paper section hadn't been touched. So he comes back into the shop about 20 minutes later and he plops 36 rolls of toilet paper down on my shopkeeper friend's desk. And the shopkeeper looks like he was about to cry in gratitude. He pulled a 20 out of the wallet to buy, you know, $3.25 worth of toilet paper. And the, the customer said, hey, don't, don't worry about it. It's a hard time. Um, we're all fine. It's just three bucks, no big deal. Uh, and uh, the shopkeeper then turned to me and said, well, I guess God does answer prayer then, huh? Right? And so today I offer you St. Paul's exhortation. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because the same God, right? This is Jesus's point in the Sermon on the Mount. The same God who clothes the lilies of the field, the same God who feeds the birds of the air, the same God who died on a cross for your eternal life, to conquer death in the grave, the same God who gives graciously to you his Holy Spirit, that's the God who's getting our prayers. That is the God who is answering our prayers as may be best for us. And even when that God answers no, we may find a, a comfort from heaven uh, like Jesus did, because we know that when God says no, we're closer, that much closer to understanding and being in line with God's will for us.
And so if God promises to raise you from the dead, as he did for Jesus, then nothing in this life, my friends, can separate you from the blessings of heaven, regardless of what your threat detector tells you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, a thief. On Sunday, a king. Lay down in green. the keys. Fell on that day. Firstborn of the slain. The man Jesus Christ Ligonier, Pennsylvania.